This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good evening and welcome to Wednesday night, The Fox's Tale. Another one of the super editions where we have an ex-player join us to talk about their past at Leicester City. Uh, as always, get your questions in and uh, we'll bring Russell Osmond on in a minute to uh, have a chat and grill him about his time at Leicester. But for now, it's ready for The Fox's Tale. It's going to work. So I say, get your comments below. Let's see who's on tonight, who's coming to talk to us. Evening, Tom. Evening, Matthew. Good to have on as usual. James Burke, Leicester fan from Greece. Hi, everyone. Strongly supports you all. Let's not hesitate. Let's bring on the man himself, Russell Osmond, to join us. Good evening, Russell. <laughs> as he picks a glass of fair play. How are you? I'm good, Russell. How are you? Yeah, very, very good, thank you. Very good. 
Good, good. Let's get a few hellos in. Hi, Andy. Good evening again to you, mate, for joining us. Start with the obvious question. What made you want to join Leicester City back in 1985? Uh, Gary Mills, the charge, I think, at the time. Uh, what made you, or sold you the football club? Um, well, I was leaving Ipswich. I was told in no uncertain terms, really, that uh, at the end of the season, prior to me joining Leicester, that uh, my time was up at, at Ipswich Town, which was a shame. I've been there 10 years, but... The financial problems that the club was going through meant that I had to try and find a club somewhere else. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that Leicester City came in. They made a, a bid for me. I went up and saw Gordon Milne, um, got on fine with him and thought, yeah, great, let's get cracking. And uh, I must say, I had three fantastic years there. And if we could have done a deal after the three years, I would have stayed there longer. But as it happens... Uh, it was only for three years, but, you know, I really did enjoy my time there. I mean, you know, you talk about going to Leicester. I mean, the first season you played with some great players, Steve Walsh, Ali Mocklin, Paul Ramsey, Rob Kelly, Steve Lynax, who we've had on before, who talks yeah. about the, the team bond you had back in the day was first class. Uh, Alan Smith, Mark Bright, you know, these players rolled off the tongue of a quite a good team, really, back in the day. Well, when you look at the the circumstances there, Leicester City had just sold Guy Lineker to Everton for about £800,000. Mark Bright stepped in more or less to lead the line. We beat Everton 3-1 the opening day of that following season. So not only was it a great start for me uh, at a new club, it was a great start of the season for Mark Bright. Mark went on to do great things at uh, Crystal Palace. I still see Mark and have a game of golf with him every now and again. Great lad. Uh, Gary went on to be um, top goal scorer, I think, that season with Everton. 30-odd goals. I think they won the league. Um, they didn't do bad. Uh, but it was the start of... Um, it was the start of a very interesting season and a very interesting three years for me there. Uh, with Gary Mills, the manager, how did you find his managerial skills compared to what you just had at Ipswich? Uh, I'd had about eight years with uh, Sir Bobby Robson as my manager. You know, from being a 15-year-old schoolboy school to being part of his side that, that won the UEFA Cup. You know, and he was a gentleman. Um, and so was Gordon Milne. Gordon Milne was a proper footballing man. He knew his football inside out. Uh, always very dapper, always very well turned out. And I got on pretty well with him. It was just a shame that uh, over the next few years, we had Gordon, then Gordon and Brian Hamilton, and then Brian left and David Pleat came in. I mean, the David Pleat years probably weren't the most exciting time for Leicester fans. A lot of Leicester fans will say that, come out and say that quite honestly, weren't the, the best uh, times being a Leicester fan. I mean, going from manager to manager, I mean, was there much difference in style of play, what he wanted you to do when he came in, uh, David Pleat? Was he very much, you know, did he change everything that had been put in place beforehand or did he try and keep you know, it similar and just improve it? Well, David came in sort of halfway through the season, I think, didn't he? Around about December time. And I think up until then, that year, we we were crap, basically. You know, you you, you can't sort of say anything else about it you know I think we took 
just over sort of November through till about January, we picked up something like four points or no, seven points out of a possible 33. Um, that overlapped a little bit with David Pleat coming in, but then we went and got something like 21 points out of the next 33 when David was in charge. So um, things started to pick up then. And I think in the last five games, we got 10 points out of the last 15. So um, under his managerial leadership, really, we we suddenly found a way of playing that was uh, able to get us results. Now, I'm not saying that it was all down to Brian Hamilton that we didn't get results, but it's a bit of a coincidence. I still see Brian Hamilton quite a lot. He has an association with Ipswich Town and the ex-players there. Um, he doesn't speak much about the Leicester City days. <laughs> I couldn't stand a little bit why he doesn't mention those days. It probably was a difficult time. I mean, yeah. you at the football club, like you say, oh, I read those names out. I mean, some of those players we went on to go be legends. I mean, uh, where are we gone? Well, some of the players there, Tom, are fantastic. Ali Mocklin. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, hardcore Ali. I mean, I've seen some of the videos from the past where he's, I mean, literally headbutting players off the pitch. I mean, <laughs> what a great lad, though. Fantastic lad. He came down with the. Guy McAllister from uh, Motherwell. Um, and Gary was this scrawny, skinny midfield player that, well, he still got hair in those days. Turned out to be a, a wonderful, wonderful midfield player. You know, and a nice lad, great lad. And Ali's a great lad. Tony Seeley. Tony Seeley and Ali Mocklin, both at about five foot four, five foot five, as hard as anybody that I have ever played with or against. Both of them. Oh, and, and they got a nasty streak in them when they wanted. You know, so in those days, you needed somebody in the team like that. And we we weren't lacking. We had Ian Banks. Uh, we had a great goalkeeper, Ian Andrews. He's fantastic, fantastic lad. He's a great physio. Um, I think he's still up uh, around about the A1 somewhere, uh, not too far from Leicester. He's a terrific lad. Alan Smith, obviously. Bobby Smith, the late Bobby Smith. Um, Ian Wilson, um, Andy Feely. Oh, the names roll off. They were some. They were some very good players back then. I mean, you talk about oh, hard players, and uh, Steve Walsh was floating around at the time. Player then went on to be an absolute legend for the football club. I mean, what was it like watching him come through at the time? I'll tell you a little story about Walsh. He, he came down. Um, Brian Hamilton brought him down from from Wigan, and he joined the club, and. We played, I think it was Aston Villa, and uh, an ex-teammate of mine, David Geddes, was playing for Aston Villa up front in those days. And David Geddes was a tough lad. And David Geddes would niggle away at you. He'd tread on your feet. He'd elbow you. He'd knock you over. He'd, he'd you know, tackle you a little bit late. And he'd had this running battle with Walshy for 89 minutes of this game. And I... I just kept saying to Walshy, don't worry, Walshy, we're winning. Everything's in order. Don't let him needle you. And for 89 minutes, Walshy was totally in control of the whole situation. In the 90th minute, the Aston Villa goalkeeper took a goal kick and as the ball came high above Debbie Geddes on that halfway line, Steve Walsh just couldn't resist it. And he stepped in front of Dave Geddes and let an elbow go. 
And the trouble was he, he caught Dave Geddes right on the, the point of uh, his chin and busted his jaw in about nine places. And that was it. Steve Walsh then had a nine-match ban, I think, after that. And I had to go and represent him um, in the disciplinary hearing as well. <laughs> but that's Walsh. That's Walsh. And I would, I, was gonna say. I would go to war with Walsh anywhere, any time of day. Brilliant fella. Great lad. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Leicester fans would say exactly the same. The bloke ran for Brick Walls for the football club, you know, over a long, long career. Scored great oh, goals, rock at the back. The playoff final goals always go down against Derby as these memorable highlights. Mm. I mean, the questions go, as we normally would say, is uh, best player you ever play with at the football club? Who was like the best player all round for round, one of the best players you played with? One of the best players that I played with, with a very, for a very short while, because he wasn't there long, was Laurie Cunningham. When Laurie turned up, and the things you used to see Laurie do on the training ground was awesome, absolutely breathtaking. Um, but I think, um, just trying to think back, I think it would probably have to be Guy McAllister, you know, the way he developed over a period of two to three years. Um, you could just see him maturing as a player more or less game after game after game and getting um, physically stronger all the time. And Ali Mocklin improved as a player as well when he was there. Ali would do a lot of work in the gymnasium on his week of foot and stuff like that. You know, and those two players worked very hard to become, um, you know, regulars at the club and both fully justified their selection week in, week out. I mean, being in the last three years, you played against some very good strikers. Who was the hardest opponent for you against? You played against. Um, physically, Billy Whitehurst. The beauty was that Walshy would mark him for most of the game, and I only had to mark him for about ten minutes. Was that Walsh being sent off? <laughs> <laughs> no. I remember the two of them at the end of one match. They both whacked each other across the eye there's blood everywhere i think one had knocked somebody's tooth out and but at the end of the game they both looked at each other put their arms around each other and more or less raced into the players lounge afterwards and when i got in there they both had about four or five pints of lager each or something like that were a great time and looking forward to the next match that they were going to butter hell out <laughs> Uh, question from Andy Maris. Who was the Joker and any stories from the dressing rooms? Uh, joker, Joker, Joker. Mm. I'm not sure about the Joker, but I know there's one or two stories that need to stay in the changing room. Um, <laughs> I remember we, we went abroad one year and we were down by the swimming pool and all we could see were golf balls, you know, bouncing around the swimming pool and over the main road. And Ali Mocklin was on about the 20th floor on the balcony outside his hotel bedroom. Or he's actually in the bedroom, firing golf balls out the window. They weren't his golf balls, they weren't his golf clubs. And I don't think it was even his room, but <laughs> he was... Yeah, he had to keep an eye on Ali. Uh, have you been back to the football club much? Have you, do you get a chance to come back and watch any games? Or have you been watching much of this season? Um, I haven't seen a lot this season. Um, I try and catch the games. I work in India for you know half the season, five five months of the year. Um, 
so it's limited opportunity to get to see them. I'd like to get up there and see a little bit more, but it, it always seems to be something else on the go. But, you know, I look back at uh, Leicester City women uh, winning the, the title, the Premier League, and oh, how cool was that? That was, I mean, that was the best thing ever, ever. I mean, you must be proud. Yeah, you, you, It's a club you represented, a club, a, a, not a big club in any scales, but to go on and win the Premier League that season, you, I think a lot of that Leicester players took it like, do you know what? At least I've been part of that club at some point. Oh, and what they did, they, they've, they've basically kept the heart of the club. The club, I believe, even though I don't go up there, I get the feeling that the club is still the same. It's not a mega club. It's, it's not a Manchester United uh, that is all encompassing. I think it still has... A family feel about it, you know, the, the chairman and the tragedy that, they, that his family went through. Um, they've maintained the fact that it's, it's still got a heart and it still has a relationship with the supporters. And I remember playing at Filbert Street. Remember Filbert Street? That was right, I was, uh, was going to start a season to get in the old cow shed and then in the cop for a few, about four or five years before we moved. Yeah. I went down about 95 was my first season. Well, I I grew up in Derby, so I used to go to the baseball grounds. Nice, tight configuration of a of a pitch. I played at Ipswich, which is pretty much the same. The crowds right there on the pitch. Filbert Street was the Dell at Southampton was, you know, and those four stadia then create wonderful atmosphere, you know. And I think, you know, with Leicester City being able to to keep that feeling between the club and the supporters. It's, it's really done them proud. It's done the city proud. Question from Zab is, uh, where do the players enjoy relaxing and unwinding town in those days? Any stories? Um, there used to be a nightclub in the, in the marketplace. Was it Granny's? Gra Brannigan's. Was it Brannigan's? I thought there was yeah. one called Granny's or something like that. Granny's. But... We used to go down there uh, a couple of nights a week, I think. Alan Birchinall is the person you should ask about this because he used to organise the uh, game of darts. So we used to meet and play somebody at darts somewhere out in the country and then go and have a, a quick one down the nightclub. Um, but I remember Steve Steve Moran that came to the club from Southampton. We used to spend a little bit of time in the nightclub with Steve and um, and Walshy, of course, and it was a it was a case of nearly all the lads used to go and enjoy a drink together. So yeah, they played we played hard, we worked hard, and um, we had a bit of fun together. So we had a great team spirit. I think the answer is that is uh, Andy. So you still uh, are signing with any football in any way? Is that you work in India covering the Premier League? Or is it? Now, I cover the Indian Super League. I call the Indian Super League, dear. Yeah, I work for Star Sports and have done since the the inception of the, the Indian Super League, which was six years ago. We're going into season seven, um, hopefully, depending on this COVID palaver. Yeah. Um, that should start hopefully late November. Um, but that's that's picking up. That's been very good. That's very I mean, Big Has crowd. there been many players come from the Premier League and played over there? Did Robbie Keane go over there, I think, at one point? Robbie Keane went over for a little bit. John Gregory's been managing over there. Um, uh, Phil Brown 
managed for the last couple of years there. Steve Copples managed there. In the early days, it was like um, uh, most teams had a marquee player. So they had people like Del Piero and Trezeguet and Freddie Lundberg. Now they've sort of done away with the, the marquee player, but they still have uh, four or five foreigners in every squad. But you have to play the majority of Indian players. So it's, I think it's going to be seven and four ruling soon, like four foreigners and seven Indian players. Um, but they have massive viewing figures. As you probably know, you know, there's 1.4 billion people in India. So, you know, the viewing figures are pretty good for star sports. Little bit but we're getting there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, considering it's is it cricket that uh, in country that's mainly for cricket, and they do love their cricket in India. You know, footballs are probably something they've only seen from the Premier League. Of course, it's going to take time to build something like that over there. And fair play for them to try and to do it. You know, six yeah. years to get yeah. that uh, stature. It's going in the right direction. Well, uh, I mean, um, yep, yeah, yeah, they're getting there. You know, they have a place in the the Asian Champions League now which means next year the 10 teams in the league have to play each other three times because you have to play at least a minimum of 27 league games each, you know, to make it fair competition for everybody else. Okay. I mean, as you see, Leicester finished the league fifth this year and got into the Europa League, uh, missing yeah. out on the final day of the season was probably a bit sad, really, after they've been pushing all year round. I mean, generally, what, do you think they need to strengthen that much in the squad or... Do you think there's enough there? They just need one or two players to push on with the, you know, the extra football next year. I think they have enough um, as they stand. It was very difficult with it uh, once the season restarted after the lockdown. I think it was very difficult for a lot of clubs to get the momentum back again, one hundred percent. And I think every club missed out a little bit, and I think possibly Leicester missed out a little bit more. What to do for next year? I think you've just got to start again. You've got to hope that the season starts and everybody gets fully fit, full swing, that we don't have any further lockdown knock-ons to this uh, COVID problem that gives any more problems to the Premier League. Um, but there's so many good teams and good players playing, playing in the Premier League now. Um, I'm not a great fan of VAR. Um, I don't like the way that I've been performing over the last, you know, month really since since lockdown. Um, I think it's given us more problems than than it's uh, cured. Um, but I think Leicester have enough to compete again next year. The problem is you can't stand still in this game, you know. And when you think you need to invest and bring another new player in, you've got to hope that he is going to fit into your your team and your squad and your style of playing and do so successfully without upsetting the balance of everything else that you've got going. Yeah, I agree with that, Tony. I mean, if you look at it, Leicester, probably main thing this year is going to be a, a winger to create a few more chances and the final piece to be probably looking for the replacement for Vardy because, you know, at the age of 34, he's probably got maybe two, three good seasons left in him because he didn't come into the game till late. And that's yeah. probably where we'll be looking for the next, you know, main striker to come in and fill the boots. Yeah. It's always about goals. You have to have somebody that's going to get you 20 goals a season. End of story, you know. And if you're going to be up there, you know, fighting for European places, 
as a team, you're going to have to score what, between 70, 80 and 100 goals. So I mean, you need you need a squad and a team that are going to share those goals around between them. One main strike again, you're 20-odd. Midfield players chipping in with six, seven, eight apiece. Another strike again, you maybe 10 to 15. And then if your back four can squeeze your goal out of each other, it'd be handy. There's a question what's been popped up a few times. I'm going to have to ask you. Go on. What was it like being in the Escape to Victory film? I mean, you know, the names were lost, Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Pele. I mean, you got closer to Pele than most English defenders, mate. I mean, uh, what, was it like, what was it like filming and being in that film? Because I've watched it numerous times. It is what there we one of the greatest football films made. Uh, what was it like to film with these great people? Well, it was great fun. It was brilliant fun. I'll give you an example. In the evening after we'd done the filming, uh, and it was shot in Budapest in Hungary. So we're stuck in Budapest. But we would go out to a restaurant, the lads from Ipswich and some of the other players, and we'd go with, with Pelé and his, his manager, and he'd take his guitar with him, and when Bobby Moore would be there, and Mike Summerby, uh, Ozzy Ardiles, Casimir Dana, uh, I'm dropping a few names here, by the way, if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> oh, I've got a few more on the list. Ozzy was on there. I mean, there's a few boys in that film. Yeah. And we'd, we'd just sit in the restaurant, have a few drinks, a few gin and tonics, and Ozzy would be on the uh, the Benson and Hedges. Uh, <laughs> Pelly would have a, a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label, and he'd put about that much in the bottom of a tumbler and have a little sip bite to eat, another little sip, play the guitar for a little bit, have a sing-song, have another little sip. And he'd do the whole bottle by the end of the night. And that was like probably five nights a week while we were there. And then the following morning, we'd just rock up at sort of, I think we had to be on site for about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, on the, the nights rolled into the days, um, pretty easily there but but Pelly was fantastic he was great um and so was everybody else apart Stallone was a bit a bit funny um Kevin Beatty from Ipswich took him on at arm wrestling and beat him which disappointed him you know um but everybody was great John Houston who's the film director magnificent um Tim Piggott-Smith, Max von Sydow, who just recently died. All that crowd were, were brilliant. Um, the late Bobby Moore was fantastic. So we had a wonderful time. <laughs> I mean, the question is always put on it. Has it gone? How did you end up getting into it, though? What was the story that you were invited to film this film? Why did it, they come to you boys for it? I think it was a... It came through Bobby Robson, so somebody must have approached... Bobby Robson at the time and I just remember he called a meeting one day in, in the changing room after training and just said listen you know at the end of the season um, if you're not doing anything and you want to help um, make this or create this film it's a, a prisoner of war film and they need somebody just to do some background football scenes and that is basically all we thought it was some background football scenes so, you know, I said, well, I was single at the time. Yeah, that'll, that'll do for me. Um, 
get paid a little bit extra money for another six weeks in Budapest. No problem. Johnny Walk came. Uh, Kevin O'Callaghan, who had his arm broken because he was the goalkeeper. Uh, Lloyd Sybil, who was the German goalkeeper. Um, so we all trotted off there. Uh, and it was great. The problem is, once we got there, they then gave you uh, a script and said, you have dialogue tomorrow. Um, and in my case, I was having a to do a scene with Michael Caine. And they said, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, five or six lines of dialogue. <laughs> I said, no, you, you've, it's a mistake. We're the people that are doing the football in the background. He said, no, you've actually got a, you've got a character to play in the film and he has dialogue with Michael Caine. It's got to be shot first thing tomorrow morning. <laughs> and you need to go and get your hair cut because I got the old mullet haircut in those yeah. days. All that got chopped off to more or less what, what I've got now. And in the morning, that was it. You know, you've had to learn your lines and walk in with Michael Caine. And Michael Caine was absolutely magnificent, by the way. Magnificent. I was going to ask, was it what's he like filming me? Because it, he is a film legend. Uh, he, he must have been brilliant to walk on set and see that, you know, that man standing in front of you. <laughs> Yeah, blow the bloody doors off. It was um, <laughs> because we're all in in the one of the um, uh, Nissen huts um, in the in the prison of war camp. So we're all sat around there, and he started telling a few funny stories just about what's happened in other films and blah blah blah. So more or less putting everybody at ease and helping them relax. And then all of a sudden he said, "Okay, let's get this." done uh it's only going to take two minutes right here we go bang 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 and it was done easy as that you know and he was absolutely magnificent all the way through brilliant fair play i mean like i say don't have to let anybody that don't you know and you, know, you don't see no, it nowadays so fair play to you for getting involved with that it is one of the best films well I, yeah if we'd have known how big it was going to be one would have asked for royalties and <laughs> It's getting bigger and better every every year. Fair play. Well, at the end of the show, Russell, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight, mate. It's been no. much appreciated, mate. Much appreciated. You've given some great stories about the, you know, your time at the football club, the the film, and everything like that. And hopefully, in the future, once the season kicks off again, we can get you back on to talk about current football affairs. Yeah, certainly. I would look to it any time you like. I'll be about, and uh, it'd be nice to get to a game next season as well. That's great. Thanks for us all. Cheers for joining us tonight, mate. My pleasure. Cheers. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. There we go. Another one on the Fox's tail. What a great night. What some great stories from about Walsh smashing people in the face. We don't get many of them. You know, it's uh, been another good night. Uh, next Wednesday, we have another legend, as we will call him. Uh, Ian Marshall is on to join us and talk about all things Leicester. So he'll have a few tales about, I'd say, Gary Parker and Walshy. But for now, that's the end of the show. Cheers for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next Wednesday at the same time for the Fox's Tale. Good night.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.